Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This is episode 339, and we're talking about our top 10 things to do in Portugal. Yeah, Portugal is fantastic. We've just finished up a trip there, and it's been so good to us yet again. Yeah, I found it really interesting this time, because every other time we've been to Portugal, I think we've been three or four times, I've come in from Spain. So I feel like all of my impressions have been colored by the idea of being in Spain. But this time we flew in straight from London, and... I had such a different experience. I've always liked Portugal. I've always said that I enjoyed it. But this time, I don't know, there was some extra element to it. And I really, really liked it. So I don't know. I don't know if that's what I'd recommend, that you go to Portugal first before you go to Spain, or whether it doesn't matter to other people. But in my experience, it really did make a difference. Yeah, we flew in from London and headed down, first of all, to Faro. Now, I've spent quite a bit of time in Faro in the past. So the next day, we just jumped on a train and popped straight up to Lisbon. And we're in Lisbon for about a week. Uh, I was speaking there at a conference, so that was our, uh, I guess, our reason for uh, for being there. But it certainly wasn't the only thing we did. No, it was really great to be in Lisbon because our friends Dave and Lauren live there, so we got to spend some time with them. I think one of the highlights for me was getting to spend time with Ricardo, who's a Performance Foundry staff member. So as well as Indie Travel Podcast, we also run a web development and hosting company called Performance Foundry, and we have staff all over the world, including in Portugal. And although Ricardo's worked for us for over a year, this is the first time we've been able to spend time with him in person. So that was really cool. Yeah, it was neat. And then after Lisbon, straight on up to Porto, where we had about another 10 days or so hanging out in the city. I really like Porto. I think that maybe it's my favorite Portuguese city. Wow, that's that's quite something. So yeah, you're going to call it? Yep, definitely. I like Porto. I don't know what it is about it, but I just like the feeling, the atmosphere, the food, the drink, all of those things. Then onwards and northwards, we crossed over the border near Vigo and then headed up to Acarunha, where we've been for the last few days. And if you're a long-time listener of the podcast, you'll remember we spent a summer here about five years ago and really enjoyed it. We've been back a few times since. And hey, we're, we're back again. It's one of our favorite cities, although at the moment it's actually raining outside, so I'm not sure how much I like it right at this very moment, but we do keep coming back. The first time we were here, well, five years ago, Craig and I were celebrating our 10th wedding anniversary, and we decided to celebrate by walking a thousand kilometers from Seville up to Santiago de Compostela. As you do. Yeah, I mean, that's what everyone does, right? That's what we heard. So Santiago de Compostela is only about 70 kilometers from, from the city, and my language exchange partner, Oliva, lives here. She's she's from here and, you know, she'd always told me what a lovely city it was. So I thought, why not? Let's give it a go. It's a city by the sea. And we came here and spent a magnificent summer here. It was really cool. So we've been back in other seasons. In fact, we spent a carnival here once and got dressed up in really terrible costumes. I mean, terrible. And we're back now just for a few days and it's nice. It is indeed. Well, here's the sound of some bells, and these were playing just outside our Airbnb in Porto, right? At the church next door? Yeah, every day at 12 o'clock, there was a concert of bells. We're pretty sure that it had to be someone actually physically playing the bells using one of the things that we talked about. I think it was in our last last podcast. In, a, in the Jerusalem podcast, yeah. Yeah, it sounded really cool anyway. It went on for about 15 minutes, so we just took a short recording of part of it, and uh, we would like to share it with you. Here we go. Top 10 things to do in Portugal. Number one, 
eat all of the things. <laughs> Food in Portugal is really good, and there are lots of regional specialties that you have to try. One of the things that Portugal is really famous for is bacalao, cod. And you can have so many types of cod. What I don't recommend you do is arrive on your first day and go into a restaurant and just order any random cod because that's what I did and it wasn't that delicious. Ah, so just some random cod isn't good enough for you. (laughs) The thing about cod is that they don't eat it fresh. They salt it. So haven't you just read a book about cod, Craig? Oh, the the book about cod. We'll put a link to this in the show notes uh, so you can grab a copy. Cod is just amazing. It it changed Europe. It changed our diets. It changed Western civilization. So Telling why you, isn't it salt plus cod? Why isn't it more delicious? No, no, I never said it was good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's it's so cool. They reckon that the Basque sailors and Galician sailors uh, that were going out for cod, uh, they had these secret fishing grounds, and they go away for weeks at a time. And they reckon they were actually sailing over to the Americas, having a bit of a party, collecting all the cod there, and then sailing back again. And this is hundreds of years before uh, Columbus mounted his expedition. So cod's just quite fascinating. But you didn't have such a lovely lunchtime experience. No, but I think I've, I've read about cod cakes and various other things you can have that are probably more delicious than this particular one. But it was just very, very salty. Yeah, I've I've seen like desk calendars, three hundred and sixty-five days of cod recipes, and you know you're getting serious when you've got three hundred and sixty-five different days of recipes. Makes me think of Forrest Gump, cod <laughs> soup, cod cakes, cod. Anyway, something you can try that you probably will enjoy is down in Lisbon, and these tasty little desserts are just the thing. So near Lisbon, there's a, a suburb called Belém. And there is a really famous factory that makes these tiny, tiny pastries called pastéis de Belém. And they're made all over the country. I mean, they're, they're called pastéis de nata or kind of cream pastries. And you can get them in every bakery. But this one place out in Belém is the place to go to. We've tried various ones and they really are the best. If you don't get there early enough, you'll have to stand in line for an age to get served. And when you do and they come out burnt... Don't be shocked. They're, they're meant to be burnt. The layer of, of burntness on top is actually a part of the way it's cooked. Yeah, Craig's sister actually chose to make these as part of her chef training, and she got marked down for having it burnt on the top. And so she argued with her professor and said, look, they're supposed to be, and she showed a picture on the internet, and luckily she managed to recoup her, her mark, so that was really good. <laughs> so uh, that's the, the thing to eat in Lisbon for sure. In Porto, it's the Francesinha, and this is much more my style. It's bread with meat covered in a beery sauce and covered in cheese. And it's, you know, you might have heard of like a croque monsieur or as we call it, melted cheese on toast. (laughs) Um, But this takes that whole idea to a whole other level. Yeah, we went out with Ricardo when we were in Porto. He took us to this great place and we had the best Francesinha. It was two huge pieces of bread with about five different types of meat. There was ham and pork and spicy sausage and like a thin steak smothered in cheese Top of the sandwich put on, covered in a berry sauce. I had an egg on mine. Craig chose not to have the egg. That was the option. You, you ordered yours and it was like, do you want an egg or not? 
Yeah, we, we had to try both ways. Yeah. But yeah, that is the food in Porto. But I wouldn't recommend you try it if you're on any kind of heart med- medication because the amount of calories and fat is just unbelievable. But it's spectacular. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Anyway, let's move on to point number two, which goes nicely with point number one. Is it drinking? It's drinking. When you go to Portugal, you really have to drink. You might associate Portugal with port, which makes sense because it is famous for port and the port is delicious, but it's not just port that it's famous for. Yeah, there's over a dozen different wine regions in uh, in Portugal. Uh, my favorites are up in the north, I have to say. Definitely. Around the Douro and even further north, where as well as producing the grapes that go into port, they also produce a special wine called Vinho Verde or green wine. And it's actually white, but it's quite it's quite a young wine. It's a very fresh wine, and it's beautiful on a hot day. I really like it. I was surprised we were at a restaurant in Portugal, and we saw it translated as sparkling wine. And yes, it can be lightly sparkling, but it's not what you would think of as a sparkling wine. Although that restaurant also translated tripe or tripas as various meats. So I'm not sure if we can trust his translation skills <laughs> no, anyway. not at all. Hey, if you can't get to one of the wine regions, but you're in either Lisbon or Porto, maybe in other places, there's these little wine tasting rooms near the center of each of them called Vini Portugal, uh, where you can pay a couple of euros or sometimes it's free to go in and taste a selection of wines that they've got on that day. And so that is a good thing. And the one in Porto is in one of my favorite buildings there. It's the uh, Palacio de Bolsa. The the old stock kind of, exchange. It's kind of a, yeah, it's a commercial building. And it is so intricate. It's almost worth doing a tour of it anyway. But if you go and say you're going to the wine tasting room, you can go and see just a little bit of the amazing central ceiling and things like that without having to pay anything. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. So obviously it's worth trying port while you're there, but there are also other liquors that you might want to try, like Gentinia. I can never say that right. It's a sour cherry liqueur that's um, from from Lisbon, and it was originally sold by a monk after the monasteries were dissolved. And it's really tasty. It's got this kind of bitter, sour cherry flavor to it, obviously. But when we had it, I think the first or second time, we had it in these little chocolate cups. So it was like a little little dessert. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. If you're in uh, Rossio Square, which is kind of central downtown Lisbon, then you can actually go to the original store where it was first made and uh, just pick up a shot and continue your afternoon in a a much happier fashion. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to point number three, which is to get to know the people. Portuguese people tend to be a lot less vociferous than the Spanish. We found this when we were traveling by train in Portugal, and then we were also traveling by train in Spain. The difference in volume was quite spectacular. So that's one difference between Spanish and Portuguese people. But I also think Portuguese people are really nice. They're quite friendly. They tend to be a bit more laid back. If you're interested in meeting some people wherever you are, couch surfing and Airbnb are great inside the cities. There's really good communities in Portugal. Outside of there, there's some great homestay opportunities in the countryside and along the coast. Or you can also find a conversational language exchange partner before you go online to help you pick up the language. Which brings us on to point number four, which is to learn Portuguese. Yeah, it's quite a beautiful language, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, we always recommend that wherever you are, you learn a few words of a language. But there's something about really getting into a language and diving into it and understanding the grammar and understanding the patterns that, I don't know, it gives you a different appreciation for a place. Yeah, I mean, of course you want to learn the basics, uh, coffee, beer, wine, where's the toilet, all these kinds of important things. Please, thank you, yes, no, you know, these things, yeah. But uh, yeah, I I think Portuguese is quite lovely. I think that's going to be on, on our hit list over the next five years or so. Make sure we get back in. We checked out some courses and there were very affordable looking courses available in Lisbon and in Porto. Or of course, you can just start self-learning. And that's the best way. Just get communicating from day one. Pick up the grammar as you go, no matter what Linda says. <laughs> we actually have a languages page with some tips about how to pick up languages. So you can head to indietravelpodcast.com slash language, I think it is, to check that out. Okay, so Linda said before that Porto is her favorite city. And so let's make that point number five. Make sure you get to Porto. I definitely think you should go to Porto. And it's a logical entry point. I mean, I think people will most be, mostly be flying into Lisbon or Porto. Oddly, we flew into Faro, but, you know, wherever you come in, you're probably likely to spend time in those three places. I think it's a lovely city just to hang out in. Most people will probably know it because of port wine, uh, which was stored in the port of Porto. I know, you, you see what's happening here. Yeah. It's it's good for that. You can go and visit the cellars. They're a bit more touristy than true uh, wine production areas now. A lot of that production is uh, handled up in the growing area, up in the Douro. Now, according to some people I was speaking to this week, but drinking some, going on a winery tour, great thing to do. Some other things to do in Porto. Well, wandering around is my favorite thing. You can visit some museums, do some tours. But yeah, I think just soaking up the atmosphere is definitely the best. Yeah, I mean, the architecture is just gorgeous. And because it's a river city with very high cliffs on one side, there's always good views of either the amazing architecture, as Linda said, the kind of patchwork effect of all of the roofs running up and down the river valley, uh, or out over the river and to the the southern side, Via Nova de Gaia. Really cool. One thing you'll notice in Porto and in the rest of Portugal is point number six, which is to admire the Azulejos. So Azulejos are tiles, basically, and Portugal is famous for these white tiles with blue paintings on them. You'll particularly notice them on train stations. Uh, one of my favorite ones is in Pinhao. It's got this beautiful train station. It's quite quite small, but all over the train station, there are these paintings of traditional life in the area, and you'll notice it at other train stations and yeah, just throughout the country. Yeah, Pinhao is pretty special. It's one of those very, very uh, occasional train stations where it's worth jumping off just to have a look at the station itself <laughs> or pulling off the road if you're driving through. Beautiful part of the country up there as well. Going further north from there, uh, we'll hit point number seven. There's some castles, monasteries, and or other awesome buildings. Great notes, Linda. Great <laughs> note. I love that point. Yeah, well, the basic idea is that the architecture in Portugal is worth seeing in and of itself. So in the north particularly, you get quite a lot of castles and monasteries and old buildings from the Middle Ages. So for example, Guimarães is a World Heritage City, and it was also European capital of culture in 2012. It has a 12th century castle, which is pretty incredible. And there's also a ducal palace, and it's got narrow medieval streets. It's one of those cities that are just really cool to wander around. 
It is beautiful. And, you know, we've been to almost every country in Europe and we've seen a lot of medieval buildings. And there's something about the ones in Portugal. I don't know. Maybe just a little bit more epic or a little bit more untouched or a little bit more romantic. I don't know. They just have it. They have it. Yeah, yeah. That thing that you're looking for, I think we've found it. Um, Just around the corner from Guimarães is Braga. And Guimarães and Braga seem to fight it out because they both want to be the oldest city in Portugal. And uh, the actual oldest city is is lost in the mists of time. (laughs) Could be anything. It could be anything. But they're both pretty old. While Guimarães has a castle, Braga is known as the religious capital of Portugal. Most famously is the sanctuary of Bom Jesus, and this is at the top of a really big hill, about 600 stone stairs to go from street level all the way up to the religious sanctuary. And if you're of a particularly fervent bent, you can go up it on your knees, as pilgrims often do. We just walked, and that was hard enough. Yeah, I'd I'd not recommend doing it on your knees. So while you're up in the north, you can also visit Viana de Costello, which was named after Vienna. But I think it actually has more in common with Paris, because there is a bridge that was built by Gustav Eiffel of Eiffel Tower fame. And there's also the Sanctuary of Santa Lucia, which is almost a carbon copy of the Sacre Coeur of Paris. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird, actually. It's like a scale model. <laughs> it's just slightly but, smaller, right? Yeah, it's not... <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it's fully fully operational as a as a venue so you can go in and wander around and yeah but it's kind of crazy seeing this transplant yeah in fact a lot of Eiffel's work is right throughout Portugal he spent a lot of time there and a lot of his apprentices have work right throughout Portugal as well there are some other beautiful and interesting buildings around the place one that stands out in my mind is in Lisbon the National Pantheon the ex-church just Amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. And you can visit it for free on Sunday mornings. In fact, quite a lot of things can be visited for free on Sunday mornings in in Portugal. So keep that in mind. Uh, Another building that really stood out for me was the Bone Chapel in Faro, which is inside the Carmo Church. We've been to a couple of bone chapels, and this one wasn't in as quite good condition as some of them. A lot of the bones were broken, which was a bit sad. But it's still really amazing to see a chapel that's built out of human bones. It's quite interesting. Sombering. Sombering, yeah. Number eight in our top ten things to do in Portugal is to go and explore Lisbon. Those seven hills, just start walking. You've got to do them by foot and by elevator. Yeah, the kind of iconic Lisbon picture is of a funicular kind of tram going up a hill, right? Because there are a lot of hills. So if you're walking around, you will really notice it. I like going up some of the elevators, but also, once again, just liked wandering around. One of the best things we did was just got a bottle of wine and sat with our friends in the park, which is a very typical Lisbon thing to do. Definitely. One thing I love about Lisbon is the downtown area is actually downhill, always. So they they wouldn't call it that, but the downtown area where there's a lot of the major shopping, uh, great restaurant area, great nightlife, is literally down in the valley of a bunch of hills. And that's pretty much true everywhere. Uh, the area I'm thinking about is around the squares of uh, Restauradores and Rocio and down into the Praza Comercio uh, where there's a lot of bars and then the riverfront train station, all that kind of thing. So it's cool. But one thing I like is that each, each I guess each hill, every time you walk uphill, 
it feels like its own neighborhood. They're all different. They're all distinct. And if you have enough time or if you go back on multiple trips like we have, stay in a different area each time mm-hmm. and you'll pick up this this different feel. This yeah. is our fourth or fifth visit to Lisbon. And this time we stayed up closer to the university because uh, I was speaking at a conference there. And it just felt so completely different to every other time we had been. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's move on to point number nine, which is nature. Of course, after you've spent some time in the cities and towns, you'll want to have your nature fix, right? So we recommend you head down to the Algarve and get into it. Yeah, definitely. You know, we don't research a lot in advance. Uh, We tend to fly by the seat of our pants a bit. But when we said we were going to Faro, an Indie Travel podcast listener chipped in and said we should definitely go and see the Rio Formosa National Park. To which we went, uh-huh. Okay, yeah, yes, definitely. Sure. And so we booked a tour to get out there, and I'm really glad we did. Yeah, we went on a short guided tour, and it was, yeah, it was definitely the highlight of our time. We saw all sorts of types of birds, which once again inspired us to be interested in birds. We always want to be interested in birds, and we look at them, we're like, hey, birds, they're really interesting. But we never quite managed to buy the book or learn very much about them. But our guide pointed out flamingos, herons, all sorts of things. The funniest thing was she kept talking about this one bird. She's like, oh, if we're really lucky, we'll be able to see this type of bird. And she mentioned its name. and We didn't really catch it because we don't speak Portuguese. And she kept talking about it, kept talking about it, kept talking about it. And at the end of the tour, we were lucky enough to see this bird. It was a swamp hen. And in New Zealand, we have a lot of a very similar type of bird. And it's kind of it's kind of a pest. <laughs> yeah, it steals your tomatoes, stupid pukekos. <laughs> I think they're gorgeous. They're really nice, but they do eat your tomatoes. So point number 10 is a dream for us. It's something we want to do rather than something we can strongly advise. No, I I think I can say I can strongly advise doing this regardless of the fact that we haven't been there. But we wanted to save something, you know, because if you've got a list of the top 10 things to do, if you've done all of them, you know, what are you going to do next time? So we've left this one. We haven't deliberately not done it. It's just that we have chosen it because we think it's cool. And that's to get out to the islands. I want to go to Madeira. I want to go to the Azores. I want to too. Let's do it. Yeah. I think you want to go basically because you want to drink more Madeira, but I think that's fair enough. You know, I'm going to put that down as research. (laughs) So yeah, we'd really like to get out there. I mean, both of these groups of islands are located way off the coast. Madeira is located kind of to the south of Portugal, off the coast of Africa, and the Azores, I think they're about 1,400 kilometers out into the Atlantic Ocean. So they're not particularly close. Just a short jaunt, really. Yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs) But yeah, we'd really like to go there. So that's our top 10 things to do in Portugal. Please come by IndieTravelPodcast.com, find the show notes, and leave a comment. Tell us what you think we've missed out, what you think your number one thing to do in Portugal would be, or any other comment you have. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and probably some other social networks I'm not remembering right now, (laughs) normally using the handle Indie Travel. Cool. So what's up next for us? Well, we're here in Acarunha for a few more days. And then on Saturday, we're heading to London to spend some time with my brother, celebrate our birthdays. And then we're heading north to Suffolk, where we're going to be for three months. We won't be just there, though, because both of us will be going off on on short trips. I'm going to France with my brother, my sister-in-law, and my mum. 
and Craig's probably going up to Scotland to spend some time with his family up there. Yeah, hopefully. That'd be good. Yeah. So I think that's us for this time. Until next time, travel well.